All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Hugh Grant is on the show today. Hugh Grant. Now, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know if I liked Hugh Grant. I know Hugh Grant. We all know Hugh Grant. Everybody knows Hugh Grant. He's that cute guy. But lately, he's been a little less cute and a little more intense and a little more interesting to me, frankly. But then I watched him in this new uh, this new bit he's in, the undoing dark shit. But I didn't know what to expect, you know, because I, I think back about Hugh Grant. You remember when he got busted? And I thought I thought this at that point, he must have been like the biggest star in the world. That's what I remember. But the truth was he, he hadn't even released an American film yet. He was just this guy that was at the tip of the spear of total media hype. And I talked to him about it, and he, he completely knows that. But, uh, but it was sort of interesting talking to him because I didn't know what to expect. He was in Istanbul. There was a tremendous time difference. It was, uh, the sun was setting there. And, um, and he was having a cocktail, it seemed. And he was cracking me up. He's a, a very dark, self-deprecating man. I enjoyed it very much. So that's going to happen in a few minutes. Have been having, I've been sleeping better and my muscles feel better. I don't know if it's a change in vitamins. I don't know if it's the combination of yoga and meditation. I'm having deep dreams. I don't know what they mean. Had a dream about my second wife. And in the dream, she wasn't wearing makeup and she was a giant. And I just remember being excited to see her, but not remembering how huge she was. Like my, my head came literally to her crotch level and she was just this giant, powerful looking woman. And I was like, were you, was it always, was it, there was always this big a size difference? I don't remember this at all. I guess metaphorically, we can figure that one out. Can't we? Can't we? And yesterday I went and did some, uh, some voice work for the bad guys movie. Apparently this book is very popular with kids, bad guys. And I play the snake, but I was able to, um, watch uh, some of the completed sequences and it's like fucking amazing. You know, I'm not a big animation guy, but this stuff is moving. But I think, is everything moving now? What is happening to me? What am I going to do? Jesus Christ. Do I even want to do anything anymore? Man, I don't know where you're at, but geez, man. I did some planting the other day. I planted some plants. I've been walking by these beds around my house with these that I hated for over a year because I, you know, I threw some plants in there. I had the gardener throw some plants in there and I didn't like them. And some of the plants, they never grow. It just looks shitty. And it's right in front of my house. And it was driving me nuts for over a year. And I get it in my mind. Well, I better do some research. I better look at some books. Maybe I can have somebody come in and assess what's happening out there. And, bring... and then finally, it was just sort of like, fuck it. Fuck it. And this is how I work all the time. I don't know how you work, but I get right to the end of my rope and then it's seemingly impulsively, seemingly impulsively, I just fucking go do what I have to do in a flurry. I know I've got to do it for a long time, but then it just, it almost has to be, it has to be done on impulse. Like I just went to run an errand somewhere and I went by the nursery after and I bought about seven or eight plants 
for less than $100. And then I just got on my knees and I got my boots on and I got a little shovel and I planted a bunch of plants and it has taken such a fucking load off my mind. It's such a pleasure to walk into my house. It took like a half an hour. What the fuck is wrong with me? What is wrong with us? I mean, the one thing you learn about stuff that makes you happy in your home and around your home is if you've been forced to stay in that box for a year, whatever you thought was slightly fucked up or slightly driving you crazy or slightly annoying or slightly ugly, it's definitely fucking annoying, ugly, irritating now. And you can just fucking get rid of it. Now, I'm not talking about children or, or partners. I'm talking about objects. All right. Don't misunderstand this. Do not get rid of your children. Do not get rid of your partner. Well, I mean, look, oddly, you got to keep the kids. But, you know, if it's been a year and you've realized something about your relationship, maybe you should make a move. Maybe you should make a decision. Maybe it's time. Okay. So, look, Hugh Grant, I, uh, I had a very good time talking to him. And uh, he's nominated for a. Um, a SAG Award for Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a TV Movie or Limited Series for his role as Jonathan in The Undoing. Uh, you can watch that on HBO Max. He, uh, You can watch all his movies. You know Hugh Grant. You know him. When I spoke to him, he was in Turkey. Yeah, this is me and Hugh Grant. He's in Turkey. <laughs> Hello. How's it going, Hugh? That was really natural. <laughs> I'm, I'm very good at this. I've been doing it a long yeah, time. You can tell. <laughs> this is the, I think this is the longest uh, stretch of mile, miles between people that we've had. <laughs> Where are you? L.A.? I'm in L.A., yeah. Uh, You're in Turkey? Yes, sir. What, have you ever have you been there before? Yeah, I've been on silly holidays here in the 1980s. So people go on holidays to Turkey? Oh yes, it's hot uh-huh. and it's cheap. If you're European, it's a good, and if you're Russian, it's a very good destination. Oh, so if you enjoy uh, the the nice weather in Russians, you you go to Turkey. I love both. <laughs> very, I'm very happy here. <laughs> and but isn't like the thing I always wonder about Turkey is like isn't there like a an authoritarian regime? Does that does that uh, uh, in any way hamper your good times? Well, I'm here doing a job. Uh, I'm making a film. I know. Yeah. So I've had to. I've had. I, I, you know what actors are like. I, when we act, we park our, all our morality and our grandstanding. <laughs> well, I I don't I'm, I don't think it's a moral thing. But even if you're vacationing, because I know people live in those countries and they seem to have a life. I mean, I assume they're you know web designers and massage therapists that are very pleasant and happy. But I mean, I just want just wondering if you feel it a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> like are you nervous now? <laughs> <laughs> They're extremely nice to me here. I have to say, the yeah, Tur- the Turks are completely charming. I love them. So that was so. Now we're we're good. If there's any, let's uh, not go down Erdogan yeah. Road. Yeah. If there's any monitors in the room, you've done your bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what is the movie, man? Can you say? Yeah, it's a. I, it's another Guy Ritchie film. I've, I've made two already. This is another one. Um, stars Jason Statham. It's a, like a spy thing. Yeah. And I'm I'm a, I'm a billionaire. Yeah. Arms state. It talks like that. 
yeah. billionaire arms dealer that talks like that. Which accent is that? Would you call it? Where's no, that? well, that's it's sort of North London. So a lot of the time you say, no, no, Mark, shush, I'm talking. Shush. <laughs> How long does it take you to get hold of that accent? I kind of know it. I grew up around a lot of London accents. And uh, I'm, I'm stealing from a, a few sources, but I, I'm too frightened to say who they are. Oh yeah, so characters from your past. Well, no, real, real. Some, some of them are quite well known, but um, I, I'm. So you're on the coke. I'm on the whiskey. That's that's good. That's right. Good for you. Uh, no, I'm, I'm doing. Uh, it's actually black coffee. I like to drink it out of a glass. It's seven thirty a.m. here. You're winding down. I'm gearing up. I'm sorry you're doing it at seven thirty, but think of me doing Jimmy Kimmel this morning at three thirty-five a.m. You did? Yeah. How, how how'd that go? Well, as you can imagine, it was a catastrophe. I, I couldn't I barely speak. <laughs> I like the fact that we're all on a level playing field production value-wise. Like, this might as well be The Tonight Show. I can do The Tonight Show from my backyard. Whoever thought that would fucking happen? <laughs> like, national television from my porch. Yeah. So, these characters, that, like in the, the last guy, Richie, too, you did another sort of guy. Yeah. It's, it seems like you've become like a, a, a different manifestation of yourself in terms of acting. Do you, it seems like yes. you enjoy it more. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is I, I started out in my 20s yeah. doing – I made a living from doing silly characters, silly voices. Well, yeah. I mean, what was the background in that? I noticed that, like, that there was some comedy and some other stuff. Where you, what part of London did you grow up in? I grew up in West London. And uh, – yeah, I, I just, I, I, that's what I did. I did it. I did it as a child. I did it at school. I made people, you know, laugh doing imitations of people. And then in my early twenties, I had a, you know, that's how I made my, my, my living doing silly voices on radio commercials, which I, I produced and wrote with friends. And then suddenly one day I, I got cast in a film and uh, I went off on a 30 year detour <laughs> but it wasn't really the plan. It just got swept up. Well, I was so bad in my early films. I thought if I do one more, yeah, I, I, just to prove I wasn't quite that bad. And then you're never satisfied, right? Uh, anyway, now I'm back to doing silly voices. Yeah. Do you have actors in your family? I mean, what 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 drove you initially? How many kids are there of your siblings? What? Oh, I have one brother oh, who is a, a banker in New York. Oh. Uh, and there's no acting whatsoever in my family. In fact, they were all horrified when I ended up going on that detour. Then what kind of like, do you come from, uh, like, I don't understand how, how, how Britain works, but do you have a long lineage? Are you from uh, a, a prestigious uh, uh, heritage of sorts? Uh, no, there's no titles, sadly. I, no. I would love a title. but um... <laughs> I think you can get one now, can't you? I mean, you're Hugh Grant. Can't you just get a title? Well, the government really hate me, uh, <laughs> so I don't think so. But uh, yeah, well, my family were just nice. They were like gentlefolk, I suppose, penniless gentlefolk. Oh, really? You grew up uh, you know, economically compromised. My dad was in the, in the army, and he, he he decided to come out and make his fortune in business. And uh, <laughs> it turned out that 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 plan didn't work out. <laughs> it did not work out, and it was the seventies and. Everyone was unemployed and the lights went out all the time because we had power cuts and strikes. And I do remember all this in the 70s in, in Britain. It was really hardcore. The, the dead were unburied in the street. The, the rubbish wasn't taken away by the Wait a minute. Men. Really? The dead yeah, were? The, the country was ruled by 
the unions, especially the miners' union. Yeah. And that's why, that, and then Maggie Thatcher came along and changed everything. The dead were unburied in the street? I may have exaggerated slightly, but yeah, they were. Like, <laughs> Is that like one story, or was that just something like you're going to school and there's some dead people? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do love a dead person in the street. I once made a film in Calcutta, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you've been to India, but it's pretty great. If you're stuck in a tra- traffic jam, yeah. past your window goes cars, cyclists, motorbike people, coppers, <laughs> and then a cow. Yeah, and then a dead body just being carried <laughs> on a stretcher, and it might—they might get stuck, and you're just sitting looking at the dead body for a bit. <laughs> I guess—I I guess there's a there's an honesty to that that we try to avoid at all costs, and I, it's probably, you know, it's part of life, right? Of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah, I don't know why we're so spooked by it. Yeah, I well, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm 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 spooked by it, but uh, I just want it to happen quickly. I understand. Yeah. I'm, how can I help? <laughs> You're too I'm far quite away. Good at mur- quite good at murder now. <laughs> you, you're probably helping somehow now. Uh, <laughs> whatever stress I'm experiencing. But um, India, yeah, I've wanted to go to India, but I don't know anything about India other than I like the food, and that doesn't seem to be a great reason to go because you probably can't you know, eat too much without being careful. You get poisoned on day three. Is and that then you, no matter you, what? You I, on that film, I, I was there for three months, and I, I didn't leave the lavatory except to shoot my scenes, and then I, I had to go straight back, continue with my explosive diarrhea. <laughs> what what, what but, movie was that, now that we know the subtext? It was a very um, pretentious French film. It, this was, again, back in the 80s. I, I, I went through a phase of doing um, sort of Euro, Euro cinema, and it was a film called La Nuit Bengali, <laughs> do you speak French? Well, I pretend I do. Yeah. I pretend I do. I have a house in France. I'm a massive Francophile. I, I, I love the place. I love the people. So you can, you can speak enough French to get by? Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but when I, I always say that I'm doing a sort of publicity tour for film and yeah. we get to France and they say, could you do, you know, live radio interview in French? And I say, of course. Yeah. And then I go on the live radio. I can't understand a word anyone's saying. <laughs> Not one word. <laughs> they just and they think you're just being an asshole, or what happens? Well, it's difficult when it's a phone in and you're under pressure, oh, and they've got phone accents from strange regions of France. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. And what? How do you handle that? You just go like, "What? What?" Yeah, you, you say, "Pardon, j'ai pas compris." I'm sorry, I didn't understand. You can say that once, maybe twice, but when you've said it for the eighth time, they just cut you off with jingles and say, "Well, who is this idiot?" <laughs> so, like, you're carrying like from the beginning. It seems okay. So the. You do one movie, you didn't think you were good in it, and then it just starts rolling. I mean, did you did you train to be an actor in any way other than like I read in some of the material that you had an actual comedy troupe? Is that true? Yes, yes, yes. That was back when I was doing silly voices. And and what? But was comedy something you uh, appreciated? Did were you like a Python fan? Did you see a future yeah, yeah, in it? Yes, of course, of course. Yeah, Monty Python was the highlight of the week for us growing up. And who were these guys in your troupe? Were you in college at the time? No, I. I oh, it's a complicated. It's a complicated story. They were just guys I met. Yeah, we have and, time. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we ended up. Um, we did a little show, and then it, you know, it was popular, and then we did another one, and we did another one, and it got a bit bigger. Yeah, we ended up at the Edinburgh Festival uh, on the fringe, you know, there. Yeah, for a and month. The, our manager had booked us this theatre. Yeah, and he was an idiot. 
He was and he booked a theatre that held 1,500 people. And our average audience in London was, you know, 50. <laughs> and and our first night's audience in Edinburgh was three. Uh, yeah. So three people in a 1,500-seat theatre is depressing. Oh, yeah. And every day we went out and gave out leaflets. And, <laughs> you know, we got, we got our audience up to about 20. And then one day there was a guy from the BBC doing a, a show about the Fringe. And he saw our show and he really liked it. So he said, come and come and do it on the, on the BBC tonight. So we did. We did one sketch. Yeah. The next day, we went into the theatre ready to give out leaflets and right. played in an empty house. And there was a queue three times around the block. And oh, uh, we completely God. jammed out. It was so exciting that we gave the worst performance of our life because every time 1,500 people laughed, we laughed too with, with excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't, you weren't, uh, you were still green, weren't ready for the big crowd. We weren't ready for those huge laughs, no. And and did was it a disaster, or did you get away with it? Uh, no, it, it actually went quite well there. And then we got our, given a TV show, wow. and that really was a disaster. We we got that completely wrong. I you know I've had that uh, Edinburgh Fringe um, experience, and I'll never go back there. I, I have a you know a, a trauma from doing that. From being- <laughs> what did you do? I did stand up there for a month, but I was on a double bill and I wasn't a known quantity. So we were just struggling with audiences of nine to 15 for a fucking month. And it's like, it it beats you down, man. Yeah, awful. (laughs) I also did did a Hamlet there when I was at university. We did Hamlet uh, in Star Trek costumes. (laughs) We we didn't have big audiences for that either. (laughs) It's, I just will never go back. Like you couldn't pay me to go back there. It's like, yeah. you know, to, to compete with 900 acts, you know, who are doing other things. A 900 aspirant middle-class 20-year-olds. Right, right. With, with different varying degrees of costume and uh, self-importance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I know what you mean. But so the, was the TV show, the comedy show, where you started launching? I mean, it, it went badly, but you seem to have uh, uh, done all right. Well, yeah, but we had other work. As I say, we were making all these commercials. Right. And we were writing writing sketches for other people on TV and we were still doing stuff in the theater. But yeah. And then one day I um, I still had an agent for acting, but I never really returned their call. And then they left a message saying um, this guy, James Ivory, wants to see you for a film. Uh, and I said, I don't think I really want to go. I, I'm not interested in acting. I've got my show. And I won't get it anyway. And my brother, the banker, happened yeah. to be home that then, and he was living with me, or rather, I was camping on his floor. Yeah. And he said, "Don't be an asshole. This is money. You need money. You're not paying any rent. Go to the audition." He made me put on a suit, and I went, and I, I got the job, and uh, and that that began this uh, yeah. detour. Yeah. This. De- but I mean, what, what you keep saying detour. What What did you think you were going to be doing otherwise? I mean, did you have a plan that you? No, but who does have a plan in their 20s? No, I liked, I was very, very happy doing that show, doing our show. I felt like a man at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, when you write your own material, it's a, a lot, you feel a lot. Um, oh, yeah. You have, a, you have a hairier chest than if you're just saying someone else's words. So you enjoyed doing the comedy, the sketch show, even though it wasn't popular, you felt that it didn't go well? It was, it was, pop, it was very popular in the theater. It just was not good on television. Oh, and so while you had the television show, you were also doing live performances? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was satisfying. Yes, well, it was. It was very frightening. I mean, we on the whole, it was it was a, it was always a quite a big success. But we we then started putting in some new material, which was <laughs> much more controversial. Oh yeah, and like, which would either go brilliantly or 
play to sepulchral silence. <laughs> like what, uh, what, what were the hot topics? The comedian you'll know is not desirable. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful silence. That one. It is powerful. It's yeah. got a little vacuum to it. It's not just silence. Yeah. It takes something from you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, Forever. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the, you fill that hole with resentment. It's great. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great business. But I mean, what what kind of buttons were you pushing? Um, well, <laughs> we we did some very very blue material. Yeah, uh, that's good. And just filthy. Yeah, you had to get the right audience. <laughs> Sometimes friends of my mother would come out of loyalty. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They, they, the report back was not great. Well, they, they just looked ashen-faced at the oh, end of it. They didn't know how to be kind. and uh, it, was diff- it, was a bit, it was That was difficult. They couldn't hide the what happened to you face. <laughs> Why? How did this no, they, they were so, They're such lovely people. My mother only had lovely, loving, supportive Sort of liberal friends, yeah, but it was very strong meat. What we were doing, I don't know why, yeah, and I could see they were horrified. I mean, these were ladies who brought up in the 1950s, yeah, of course, right? Of course, they were horrified. You, but on some level, didn't you set out to horrify exactly those people? Wasn't that the intent? God knows what our intent was, <laughs> God knows. So, you were nostalgic and about that period of self-generating material and yes 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 yes. well how come you didn't have you done any of that since not enough although i i do it has to be said embellish the script or the parts that i play in films always it depends how good the original script is if it's absolutely brilliant there's less embellishment to be done Mm. if it's a bit of a dog Mm. then there's a lot do directors enjoy you doing that they they are rightfully nervous of it because I've heard a lot of actors do it unbelievably badly and, and you don't know where, where to look, especially if they're quite powerful actors. Yeah. And they say, wouldn't it be great if I said X? And everyone's thinking, no, that would be absolutely awful. Right. But it's, it's difficult. <laughs> but I... I, I do the I do the I do the scripted version as well. And then on take three or four without saying anything, I just do something different. And... Uh, y- y- sometimes you see you hear a laugh from the monitor and you think okay well that's good yeah you and, and, and i must say they do quite often end up in the film partly because just because they're fresh sure uh, and and the, and the camera loves fresh anything that's not pre-rehearsed seems to uh go down very well and end up in the edit did you do any formal like training no sir no i tr- I, I had an inferiority complex about it at one stage I ended up, it's a long story, but I ended up doing some theater at one point. Early I thought, on? Right. I know nothing about theater. Yeah. And I, I had these young friends who'd all been to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and yeah. knew how to project their voices and move properly. I knew nothing. So I bought a book. There was one called Voice and the Actor. Yeah. And the other was called Movement for the act, for Actors. And I went and practiced these ludicrous exercises in the park. And I remember, for instance running backwards with my arms outstretched going ha 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 over and over again and it was only on about the fifth time i'd done that that i noticed there were some local boys watching making rather rude signs at me yeah scrunchy nut scrunchy nut <laughs> they seem to have uh, they seem to have stuck i mean you 
you can still do well, it. Well, I mean, I, I sort of loved all that stuff. I got quite enamored of <laughs> actors and the way they prepare. You know, in the theatre in those days, there were, there were still some real old timers. Yeah. You know, old-fashioned grease paint and did all that stuff. Long warm-ups. Yeah. Yes. And then they would come into your dressing room <laughs> and they would say, hello, Hugh. Hello, Christopher. I notice you're in your underwear. Christopher, do you have an erection? But you see, all that was fine in those days. Yeah. Or are you just bulgy? <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> Pre-me too. You just took it on the chin, as it were. It seems like those exercises were effective, though. It seems like, you know, as ridiculous as they were, they gave you some sense of... Uh, of uh... No, 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 no. I was really bad on the stage in those days. My God. There was one um, exercise... <laughs> about how to stand up yeah. properly on stage. And it's quite important you don't slump. Yeah. But I apparently, unbeknownst to me, I really overdid it. And I went through a whole week of Lady Windermere's fan walking onto stage, literally leaning backwards, like uh, like I was arched backwards. <laughs> and it was other members of the cast had to come up to me and said, could you stop doing that? Because it's very off-putting. I thought I was just being marvelous. <laughs> you thought you were doing it correctly. This is what yeah, actors, I did, yeah. Yeah. This is what actors do. So what do you, uh, 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 how did you become better at it? Just by doing it? Just by working with directors? Just yeah. by, because you're, you know, you're really good at it. I mean, you you put the work in. I've, got, I've definitely got better in the last few years, yeah. I've oh, just better. in the last few years, you, you think? <laughs> I was all right. I, I had some talent, but my problem was uh, self-consciousness, really. And uh, part of the answer, there's many answers, but the, the main answer for me has been don't do parts which are like me. You know, the further, the further away from me I get, the more of a mask I put on, the less self-conscious I am. Oh, so do you think that the self-consciousness, how did that kind of uh, manifest? What, just you never thought you were good? Well, it's just if you get the average person off the street and say, right, I'm now going to push a camera into your face very slowly right. while 100 people watch right. and millions of people around the world watch, they get self-conscious. Or if you say to the average person on the street, just walk towards me normally, yeah, they can't do it. I, and no one can. It's You get a very strange, bouncy, self-conscious walk. Yeah, you, you go from doing something which is completely instinctive in your right brain to using your left brain, which right. starts to think, how do I walk? You know, and suddenly you can't do it. So this is, this is the nightmare of self-consciousness. And anyway, my way out is to, is to not be me. Right. To just be captured by someone else. But you seem like it seems like when you look back on on, on the past and, and the early roles that you have a certain amount of <laughs> contempt for that guy who did well, those guy? for you doing that. Oh, well, things. yeah, I mean, I was, I was ludicrous uh, <laughs> doing proper theater then. I was, yeah. But like even but, that is where I met. That is where I met my friend Chris, who, who was equally bored. Uh, the one who had the bulgy underpants. Yeah, and uh, that's when we started writing a silly show to do in the in the bar of the theater late at night, and that was the beginning of our show. And then, and then, when you get this call, at what stage are you sleeping on your brother's couch? How far after the theater? Oh uh, well, uh, the, during that time when I wasn't w working, right? I, I lived on my, <laughs> I lived on my brother's floor. Yeah, he he had a nice flat because he was a banker. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought he liked having me there, but he recently revealed to me that he had been trying for four years to get me out. Four years is a long time to have your brother sleeping on the floor. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so when did it all turn around? I mean, was it really had? How many movies did it take? What was the Ivory movie that he made you go audition for? Well, it was called Morris, or okay. as it's known in in America, Maurice. Yeah. And uh, it, it was it, it did well uh, as uh, you know critically and prizes were won at the Venice Film Festival and stuff like that. And, uh, and well, at least the other two actors, <laughs> there were three main boys in it. And yeah. the other two actors then had a very good phase of their career. I had a fairly good phase, but it went downhill quite fast. And then I was rescued many years later by Four Weddings and a Funeral. So you that was your beginning, and then you you felt like it did. You, you, it was a, a so Rupert Graves was in that one. Is that who? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you just you feel like uh, you did okay, but then there was a lot of expectation, and it didn't quite happen. Well, no, not really. I just I, I got offered some crap, and I did all the crap because I thought, well, how lovely! Here's money, and here's a foreign location, and pretty girls, and I accepted everything. The, did, did, where does the uh, the lair of the white worm fall in? I'm very fond of that film. That's Have great. you seen it? Yeah, of course. It's a fucking trip. Yeah, well, people who take a lot of drugs do love it. Well, Ken Russell's a wild man. How it must have been yeah, great. He, he was. <laughs> he was a wild man, and he was. I mean, he was very talented, but he by that stage he was also very fond of a good lunch. Let's just say. Yeah. So, it was already a fairly wild film in the mornings. Yeah. By the time he'd had a lunch with two bottles of wine, uh-huh. it was really a different story. And, and <laughs> you know, his style of directing became ever more eccentric. So he would say, I remember there's a scene in that film where I have to pick up a big sword yeah. and cut a lady snake monster yeah. in half. Right. It didn't feel quite right. And I said, I can, this shot doesn't feel quite comfortable to me. And his immortal words to me were, well, fuck how it fucking feels. Do it how I fucking showed you, you cunt. (laughs) And that is not (laughs) out of the classic directorial handbook. (laughs) Yeah, you got to be at it for a few years to have that kind of insight. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been, was that close to his last movie? I wonder. Uh, yeah, close to, close to. And I, I'm never really sure what he intended with that film because it's possible it was meant to be a serious horror film. And then we had a read through the night before we started shooting and the cast laughed so hard with tears streaming down our face. But I think at that point, he thought we might ham it up a bit. <laughs> and he didn't stop you. So what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, it's kind of amazing that you did like... It looks like almost 10 movies before 44 weddings and a funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and lots of miniseries, really dodgy miniseries. It was the... It was the uh, On BBC? No, they were... I don't know. They, they, there was some American ones. There was Judith Crances Till We Meet Again. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I was always, for some reason, a, a champagne baron, an evil one. Yeah. Who stole the family champagne and sold it to the Nazis and raped Courtney Cox, my half-sister, and got whipped out of the house by Michael York. <laughs> I always had a little mustache. <laughs> well, you got to work with Michael York. I mean, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. <laughs> I just watched uh, uh, Accident, The Accident, that Joseph Losey movie the with the Pinter script. Yeah, yeah. It's around, amazing how long that guy was around, huh? And he was always sort of in movies. Yeah, and a lovely man. Is he? And very, very good as Basil Exposition in the... Um, Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah Austin Powers. Yeah. Well, so you got cast as the the evil baron rich guy thing, and you were pretty young. And then all of a sudden it just shifts, and you're this uh, 
you know, this, uh, you know, romantic kind of... Uh... Well, things, things were started, even in the, even the miniseries were fizzling out by 1993. Really? I think they were a bit. You weren't even 30 yet, right? And you're already... I was, I was 30. I was 30. Yeah. Uh, there were little bits that were all right, you know, but it was fizzling. And then suddenly the script arrives, yeah. And I've told this story many times, but I'll tell it again, just in case anyone hasn't heard it. I, it was so surprising to read a good script from my agent that I called up and I said, I think there's been a mistake. You've sent me a good script. <laughs> yeah. and the, the, the reason I did that is because about a year previously, they'd sent me Jerry Maguire and I'd said, I think it's a mistake here. You've sent me a good script. And they said, yes, I'm sorry. That is a mistake. That was not the clue. <laughs> anyway, Four uh, Weddings was, uh, yeah, it was an audition and I went and, the man who wrote it, Richard Curtis, hated me on site and didn't want me to do the film. And the producer didn't want me to do the film. But the man who was directing it, Mike Newell, thought there was some something there. Yeah. And he fought and he, he I got cast and then uh, <laughs> I was off on another detour. But do you, you like to keep, have you written a memoir yet? No, sir. When's that going to happen? Well, um, I don't know because half of me wants to do it, but half of me thinks. They're a bit up up one's own arse, aren't they? I mean, it's a bit yeah. grand. I guess, but it, like it, it really seems that uh, you know, given your your tone and the the way you would approach the stories, it would be pretty entertaining. When it, it'd probably be fun to write. Well, I, I try and go that way. Did you ever read David Niven's autobiography? No, no. Is it great? It's great. The yeah. Moon's a Balloon. In fact, there's two: The Moon's a Balloon, and then there's another one called Bring on the Empty Horses, and those are great. And yeah. he's not up his ass. Yeah, no, I think there's probably a way to do it. Yeah. So after four weddings, like I didn't realize because my memory, like I, you've just sort of always been around, you know, in my <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, it's great. I, I mean, I mean, I you know, I watched uh, you know the Undoing, and and there's part of me, you know, seeing you in that and watching all of it, where I'm like, ah, oh, finally, now we, we really see him. But um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, did you ever? Did you not see? Because I, 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 I done a few other really evil characters recently. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I know that that that's the the where you're going. But like, I was sort of um, my 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 point is is that I didn't realize that after four weddings and a funeral, that you know you had only done that movie and you'd become this like almost major presence in the world of celebrity and attention. You know, like I remember, yeah. like I had to be kind of put it into context that when all that shit went down with you out here that uh what you were you were you were new like it wasn't like you'd done a million movies yeah, that... <laughs> i was about to launch my first hollywood film <laughs> my timing was impeccable uh how how deeply have you investigated the uh the, the timing of that you know in terms of why you do certain things do you do do you do that kind of self-exploration well, yeah i mean i've i've said this before okay. my problem was that yeah. was my first hollywood film and i'd just been to see it the film was about to come out in a yeah. week or two after yeah. that and i had a bad feeling about it and i went to see it a screening and i everyone in it was brilliant but i was so atrocious hmm. that i was not in a good frame of mind and i i had a I had a Ken Russell kind of lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing led to another. So you were like, y you know, I'm going to make a mess of this. Well, no, I know not deliberately. God, no, not deliberately at all. No. I just was uh, disappointed in myself. And you, yeah, and you wanted to make it worse. 
I don't know. I don't know what was going on. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly did. <laughs> but, but you know, you sort of weathered the storm. Which movie were you talking about that you thought you were so bad in? Sirens? Well, no, no, no. I wasn't bad in Sirens. It was called Nine Months. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, but you weathered the storm. You kept going. Was that? I mean, did you think it was over after that, or what? No, because the the film did all right at the box office. In fact, I think it did quite well. And that's all Hollywood really cares about. They don't care what you get up to, as so long as you make them money. Not then they didn't. Now it seems like you you know. Well, yes, yes. I think things are a bit different now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and also like I I don't know. I think the premium put on. Uh, who the hell knows what's happening with show business? It's a fucking disaster. Why? Why? What do you, why in what way is it a disaster? Well, it just feels like, you know, it, the, the pressure of being a public person, even a minor public person, you know, is is daunting. And it's, you know, at some point, especially now, you've got to wonder, like, you know, is this worth it? You know, and it seems like you've fought that fight before, you know, valiantly against, you know, people who are. Uh, you know, the the boundaryless, abusive press. But it's just like you can't hide anymore from it, anybody can get through to you. Well, uh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got a phone. Everyone's a pap. Yeah. Uh, everyone's tweeting about where you are, what you're doing. It's crazy. Yeah, so I, you couldn't misbehave. I don't want to misbehave anymore. I'm too old and, I, you know, no. married and children. But uh, thank God, because I, it's now it would be completely impossible. Misbehavior of any kind. Well, what what sparked it? See, like I have no understanding. Like apparently, the the British tabloid press, and I I don't know it, but it, it, like I think it's bad here, but I, apparently it's like horrendous there. Yes, but it's yes, it, it, that's correct. And um, funnily enough, I've just been sent a whole lot of information about how uh, it wasn't just my cell phone that w- messages that were being accessed. It was also my landline. It was my home line for years and years. They were listening. And my medical records and my car had bugs put in it so that they knew where I was. And, uh, you know, you just found this out. Yeah, uh, I knew some of it, but I didn't know it for sure. But a a lot of the guys who did this work, private investigators hired by tabloid newspapers are now coming over to our side. You know, I've got a sort of campaign group or a part of it. Yeah. And uh, they now they're so pissed off that the editors, senior executives and the owners of these newspapers have got away scot-free while some of them have gone to, some of these foot soldiers have gone to jail, that they're now coming over to our side and spilling the beans. Really? And it's, apart from it being sort of fascinating and horrific, it's it's also quite um, heartwarming and weird in a way. I have a party every year with my campaign group for my birthday. And they love, love to invite these people who've previously done really terrible things to me, you know, bugged my car, stolen my medical records, or yeah. in one case, broken into my apartment, uh, just took the door off the hinges while I was out and had a good sniff around. And so they love to say at these parties, they say, now, Hugh, I don't think you've met Nobby. He broke into your flat in <laughs> 1999. And I have to go, oh, hi, Nob. Yeah, well, welcome. <laughs> Make yourself at home. I think you know where everything is, you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's like you're sitting here saying this list of things and you're actually in, you know, a, a, a relatively authoritarian country, but those all sound like authoritarian actions. Yes. Well, uh, that's almost true in the sense that they were allowed to do all this because 
government was so scared and remains so scared of those newspapers yeah because they have the power to make or break politicians careers that no one ever went after them so the police were instructed to look the other way while all this was going on and that is why my group campaigned for a big public inquiry led by a judge to really uncover all the dirt and that that we did get it and it was done and he made recommendations and then the the government under pressure from these newspapers said oh, no, no, well, they found a way not to put it into law so really we're sort of back to square one it's just it's- the country britain is run by four or five newspaper owners people often say you know you, you americans i meet they say so what do you think of the present prime minister it's kind of irrelevant they are just puppets chosen by rupert murdoch and the barclay brothers and really a couple of others. yeah yeah these are the people it's it's, a, it's an oligarchy it's a, Four very, very powerful newspaper owners run Britain. And, th- and none of them like you. Well, <laughs> no, I would be one of their first public enemies because I've, yeah, I've spoken up against them. Well, I mean, didn't you, you've had, you've had some success, right? In, in making them, making them pay. Yes, I've won uh, court cases because in our authoritarian regime or our, Murdocracy, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, the one, the one, one of the things that's still free is the, is the courts. They haven't got to the judges yet, so you can win cases against them, but they will punish you for that. And how did they punish you? Well, appalling <laughs> editorial oh. uh, treatment. You know, you will be taken to pieces, shredded as a warning. No, not just a warning to you not to do it again, but a warning to anyone else: do not ever. Uh, criticize us or point out that we're you know, the, our, our widespread illegalities and law breaking. Holy shit. It's fucking terrifying. You know, I don't even have that, you know, like I, I here, you, you know, just dealing, dealing what we've been through presidentially and, and what's going on here. I, I mean, I know there's, you know, outlets and propaganda, but like, it seems so cut and dry, you know, what's going on there in terms of their control of things. We don't, we don't have that here. I mean, they're, they're separate stations, but it's still not everybody's brain addled and terrified. Well, it has changed a little here because of social media now. Uh, before social media really took off, yeah, they really had a stranglehold of public opinion. And if you have a stranglehold on public opinion and can control it, yeah, then you can control politicians. You can control everything. Uh, but now there is a uh, the, people have the capability to push back a little via social media. You know, big yeah. untruth can be put right on social media if you have a loud enough voice on that. Well, that's good, I guess. It's hope. Yes, I guess. Do you do you live in uh, England still? Yeah, you do. Yeah, you never thought to to leave because I mean, I talked to Kate Winslet recently, and I mean, she basically left. Did she? Where's she living now? She was in New York for a while. I guess she's back there, but I think after Titanic, she went to New York for years. Uh, she got that type of attention very young, and it didn't seem as abusive or intrusive as yours but i mean she knew that it was something that she didn't necessarily want to live with yeah well i I don't blame her when did you uh like you've got a bunch of kids right yes hundreds that Uh, when did that start happening remarkably late in life uh, i had my first child at 51 really and now i'm 60 and i have children going down from nine to Three. And when did you when did you get married? Uh, about three years ago. You just got married three years ago. Like I'm look, I'm 57. 
Yeah, I guess I was 57 when I got married. Are you married? No, not no, I'm not married anymore. I don't have any kids either, but I've been married a couple of times. So wait, you had kids before you were married or were two different people? Uh, I had most of my kids before I was married and I've had I think one since. And what was the uh, what was the big life change? Did you not want to have kids originally or you just never found the time or the person? Yeah, yeah I don't know really. I <laughs> I think most men have a fear of what, what having a child will do to their lifestyle. Sure. And then and then other men will give them a lecture and say, no, you don't understand. It's so wonderful. It completes you as a man. And, it, and you think, oh, piss off. <laughs> but actually, uh, it turns out those smug people are not entirely wrong. It has been absolutely lovely and 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 it's been lovely being married too which i really never expected well i mean you know uh, you're you're older so i mean uh, you, you know after a certain point all those things that were important when we were younger really start to lose their meaning there's that but i but also if you just happen to get lucky and find the right person i, I you know i'm married to an amazing person who's, who's my best friend and and i mean i look i can't believe the cliches that are pouring from my lips but it's it's nice. We have dinner together every night, and you know I look forward to it, which is just uh, bizarre. Bizarre. Is it? But it's bizarre in a good way, right? This is not yeah. a detour. This is where you landed in the in the good life. Exactly. What does she do? Is she uh, does she is she in the business? She's had many jobs. But she was she was in uh, ESPN. Uh, she made oh yeah sports promos and things, and now she's just swamped by children. <laughs> and how do you think it changed your approach to uh, life? More cliches are about to pour from my mouth, but it's very nice suddenly when you're the, not the most important person anymore. It's actually strangely soothing and relaxing. and A relief? You feel better about yourself to genuinely care about someone else. I mean, you know, I you, you properly love your children and you want to look after them. And, and I think it makes you, you know... I talked earlier about hairy chests. It gives you a hairier chest. You 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 think, yeah. Well, I took care of my kids today, and I loved them, and and of course, it's absolutely delightful being loved back. So it does. Uh, so it does complete you as a man. Yeah, I, I look. I'm making myself vomit, but it sort of does a bit. <laughs> Vulnerabilities are difficult, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> So, but in terms of what you were saying earlier about avoiding yourself, it was always a relief in terms of the roles you chose. Now it seems like you're fairly comfortable with yourself, despite, you know, being cliches uh, around fatherhood. But how is it? Uh, do you feel it's made a difference in how you work? Yes, I, 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 I'm, I think it has made me better at acting. Yeah. Because um, I'm just less of a shrill narcissist. Golf mm. addict, which I was as, when I was a bachelor. What addict? Child golf addict. I was a really serious golf addict for about twelve years, to the point of insanity. And now I, I, I can access all kinds of things in my acting. You know, real proper love, and that's very useful. Oh man, I, I never thought about it like that. So you, yeah, because you, I guess you can't really fake that, can you? Well, I faked it for years in all those romantic comedies. <laughs> But right, I, right. Now I feel now I feel it, and and whereas in the old days, if the scene required, say, crying, I just said, "Well, yeah. that's out of the question. I forget it." Now <laughs> yeah. you can't stop me crying. They have to ask me not to. 
I, I, I do a scene where I have to say to the waitress, could I have a cappuccino? I burst into tears and they say, well, maybe not, not, in, not in this scene, Hugh. And one of the things that's made me sad with the undoing was that yeah. there's two or three occasions where I genuinely cried and in the right kind of scene. Yeah. And the reaction of Twitter, which I was reading while this was being broadcast, oh, never. Was, ah, he's terrible at crying. That's rubbish. That's not real crying. And it <laughs> bloody was. Maybe I've just got a really unattractive cry face. Anyway, I'll never cry again. Uh, you will. But I mean, I, I think people have built up, you know, expectations or judgments or some sort of relationship with you over, you know, the last 30 years. Yeah, I, where, I think you're right. I think you're right. You know what I mean? So they, that's, I mean, I think that's the weirdest part about yeah. being, a, you know, a movie star, somebody as, as big as you in the cultural mind is that, you know, people have a relationship with you that's got nothing to do with who you are. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's a bit late to, to be attempting to be a serious character actor because I no. bring all this vast baggage with me. That is not the point I was making. No, put the fault on the people that think they know you, but don't. All right. All right. You're doing good work. All right. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, and I did, I did like the undoing, and uh, and I've interviewed. Um, Nicole, she's like much different than I thought she was, and I found her to be very uh, entertaining and 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 candid and charming and funny. It must it was it good to work with her. Yes, and I've always liked her. I, you know, Brits get on very well with Australians. Yeah, uh, we invented them really. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> by throwing them out. Yeah, yeah, we threw them out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I've I've always I, you know I've known her socially for decades and i've always liked her yeah as you said she's a good egg yeah when you act with uh, when you act with people i mean do you like because as you get older and you have this new uh, vulnerability do you connect better when you're doing a scene and all that stuff do you find that you're able to kind of show up for them better yeah maybe 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 i mean nothing can ever be as frightening as meryl streep which i who i had to work with in the florence foster jenkins so right. although nicole was intimidating she's got oscars <laughs> and stuff and that was very serious acting. Yeah. Nothing can ever frighten me as much as that. But you held your own. Well, I, I did my best. I had my I had my emotion tape or my emotion playlist, which really helps. Oh, that's good. So now um, this one, you're playing a, a bad guy. Is there, is there a, a plan? Do you, do you ever see yourself doing something like I, like uh, that's directly relatable to the life you're living right now? Like a, like a father, a warm well, sort of... Well, uh, The Undoing deep... was sinisterly close to the life I live. In oh, the, my I, God. I, you know, that did... He was an Upper East Side affluent yeah. dad with a kid in a private school and who goes to fundraisers and all that. Uh, and that, that's me in London. Boy, th that turn in that movie. Like, I knew it was coming, but when it came, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. You really. Well, I had to warn my wife. I said, look, I did have a plan to play this as a, as a character, but in the end, um, the director wanted me to play it closer to me, so I've done that. In fact, it's sinisterly close to me, and I, you know, don't be alarmed. And how'd she take that? She, she loves the film. She, she does. The more evil I am, the more I arouse her. So that's, ah. that's uh, so, partly why I'm doing all these villains to keep her entertained. Yeah, to to know how the role playing goes later. She, she is utterly revolted by the characters I played in those romantic comedies. She's a Swedish <laughs> girl from the northern woods, 
where men are men. So the idea of some blinking, stuttery man who's in love is utterly repellent to her. Man, you found the right person. Yeah. She's taking you the next step, Hugh. Yeah. I'm still, I'm, I'm in look, I'm still nothing like manly enough for her. Uh, her brothers right. yeah. are these huge, good looking beasts who never speak. It's uncool to speak if you're from the north part of Sweden. <laughs> I never shut up. And, yeah. you know, my wife has caught me, especially during lockdown, watching The Sound of Music by myself and really enjoying it and singing along. <laughs> these were difficult moments for a, a northern Swede. <laughs> that's hilarious that that's what you have to be ashamed of being caught doing in your house yeah but i really love the sound of music i was in it once i was brigitte von trapp one of the daughters because i went really? to an old, old boys school uh -huh. and uh, so when we did the sound of music the, you know boys had to play girls roles in fact for, for many years i played nothing but girls roles so i've always been so very sympathetic towards actresses i know what the life's like and uh, and do you like other musicals, or is that the one? I do like musicals. I can't beat about the bush. I like them. Have you have you have you ever wanted to do one as an adult? Well, I do a musical number at the end of Paddington Two, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm not sure it's the most butch moment in cinema history, but it's a good moment. <laughs> do you want to do any stage work as this uh, this this character actor that you are now? Well, I I would certainly do a short run. Yeah, uh, but I also I would have to wrestle with that problem I mentioned earlier of uh, when the audience laughs, I'm so thrilled I laugh too. It's, oh, it's you a, got, you, still, you think you still got that? Did you ever meet Christopher Plummer? No, I wish I uh, had. I thought you might have. I th I figure it, like in England, everybody meets everybody eventually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I never met him. I don't know where he was hiding. Maybe he doesn't didn't live in England. I don't. Well, uh, this has been a a, a a very fun talk. Have you had a nice time? Yes, Mark. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Did you work today? By the way, no. Today was a day. Well, I I prepared. An actor prepared today. Yeah, what'd you do to prepare? Just to go over the script? Ridiculous detail I go into. I, I write these long biographies of the character and Do you? Why is he doing this? Why is he saying that? And Really? Well and then of course a lot of and what else might he say? And I write all these alternative lines in the margin. Really? Yeah. So you, you create a backstory for all of the people? Yeah, huge, huge backstory. It's it it, it mushrooms. So everything, if it says he combs his hair, you think, well, now why does he comb his hair? Ah. Does he use a, why doesn't he use a brush? And how long has he used a comb? And uh, <laughs> was it his mother? And let's uh -huh. talk about his mother. What was his mother like? Uh, and how much did he love her? And did she drink and all that? And I don't know. I don't know if it makes any difference to the final uh, performance, but I feel like it might do. And it certainly helps my nerves. Because the waiting to act is absolutely miserable and tormenting. Uh, and I feel that if I fill it with activity and rehearsal and study, I'm a bit less nervous. And do you, like, when you are in scenes, do, what, it, what do you do with all that information? Do you just assume that it's, it's in there and you let yeah, it go? Yeah, or yeah, do you... Let, let it go, let it go, let it go. Although occasionally, huh. you know, and I always think this is a, a good test of whether you've really captured your character or not. Yeah. When the scene has finished or when there's a silence i believe one should know what what to say next that you would improvise completely instinctively the next line because you know your character so well how they speak how they think 
And I, I like to try and get myself to that point. Huh. Well, that's helpful for me. I mean, I like I, that's impressive. I, I, I never like because I notice when I talk to actors, everyone's got their own way of of making it work for them, their own set yeah. of habits and tools. Yeah. But this stuff, like outside of just making you, you know, bide the time better, it kind of it makes you go a lot deeper with the possibilities of those moments, right? So because you well, like to improvise. Also, it turns out it turns out that this is Stanislavski. You know. Mm. Um, in fact, he did write an actor prepares, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it, it's all that. It's 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 uh, and the method, and it's just endless combing through and through and through and through and through, making you know more detail, more detail, more detail. Who are right. they? Where do they come from? All that. Man, now I and now but I've what got you to... have to do at the same time. Mm. I think so. That's that. That's quite serious actor actor prep. But I think it's very, very important, I think, I may be mm-hmm. wrong, to simultaneously keep an eye on what's entertaining. And will this actually interest people and entertain them or make them laugh or move them? Because if you're just, uh, if it's just a sort of religious <laughs> process where you're just trying to be true to your character, it mm. can be a bit boring. Interesting. So you're aware of that, that you know that you want to be engaging and entertaining yeah and that yeah, if you yeah. do a, a scene where you don't feel that that's in there you'll want to redo it yeah yeah huh but if you have to choose one the entertaining uh instinct or the truth instinct they on film you're better to go with the truth one always because um they can make it entertaining by editing music lighting yeah. all right. those kinds of things uh, they can make it entertaining. And, and the, you, there's no coming back from something which is false. You might think, oh, I was terribly entertaining in that film, in that scene. But if you were false, the audience knows it, they don't like it, and it dies. But if you're real, it's surprising, even if you're not hitting any of the comedy beats in the classic sort of way. And I yeah. often watch actors and think, oh, you're killing the jokes with your serious bloody acting. But actually yeah. in film, very often the joke survives their serious acting better than it survives me, my perfect timing. Right. And do you, like, are you, how aware of your face are you? Well, if you're aware of your face, you're dead meat. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I talked to Jeff Daniels once. He's like, you've got to learn how to work your face because all film acting is like 70% of it is face. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's awful. The things I dread are when they say, we're just going to push in slowly on your face for this reaction shot, you know, in courtroom scenes. And it's, this is this push in could last two bloody minutes. And within the first 15 seconds, you think this is OK. I, I'm in character here and I'm thinking thoughts and I'm emoting. And yeah. then within 25 seconds, you start to think, but my jaw's gone funny. It's gone funny. It's sticking out. Now it's sticking out more. My eyes are bulging. And then you're gone. That's it. Yeah. There goes that close up. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, I, I enjoy your work and I appreciate you talking to me. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. Take care of yourself, man. Yeah. Yeah. All the best. That was Hugh Grant. The show that uh, he's nominated for the SAG Award is uh, in The Undoing, as Jonathan in The Undoing. You can watch that on HBO Max. Go to ParamountPlus.com slash WTF and try it for free so you can watch Star Trek, Picard. I'm going to let you in on something, folks, here at the end. 
if you're still listening, for my entire life, I've been saying Star Trek. Star Trek. And every time I've recorded this ad in the past, Brendan has had to tell me that I need to do it again because I did it again. I've said Star Trek my entire life. Not Star Trek. Star Trek. It's been Star Trek my entire life. So saying Star Trek is uh, new to me. There you go. There's a little secret. Am I ashamed? Yeah. Am I going to be okay? Yep. I am. I'm going to play some guitar right now. lives and monkey and la fonda and the cat angels are coming down they're coming down they're coming down (laughs) 